By the way, welcome to our online global family. One more time, X Church, can you help me welcome everybody tuning in? If I haven't met you before, I'm Russ, I'm on the team here, and it is an honor to share with you today. But as I always say, if you leave today and say that's the worst thing I've ever experienced, come back because the lead pastor is incredible. But we are in a series, and um, I hope, I don't know about you, but this is on my Mount Rushmore. Anybody say that? No? <laughs> no? Like, I had a friend that would always say, like, they're top five, but they're top four. This is on my Mount Rushmore. Like, this is my Mount Rushmore of pizza places. That You're going to start saying this from now on, aren't you? This is my Mount Rushmore. This series is on my Mount Rushmore. Like, this is one of my favorite series in the three years that I've been here. And I think that may be because the book of Acts itself is on my Mount Rushmore. I love this series. And, you know, I know it's summer, people have been traveling and, and all that kind of stuff. You've probably been busy, but if you've missed a week, can I just encourage you, go back and binge this series. In fact, maybe do something even better than that and read the book of Acts along with it. There's no way you can just read through the book of Acts and not be fired up, convicted, challenged, and encouraged to be what Jesus meant this to be. The series is a study from the book of Acts about the church, not this church necessarily, not X church, but the global C church, the church Jesus dreamed and had in mind 2,000 years ago that has been, been a little bit lost in translation. The meaning of it has been a little bit lost, but just to recap at least the first couple weeks, the church was never what Jesus had in mind, was not a building, but a people. It was not an organization, but an organism. It, it, it was not an institution, but a movement. It was not ever meant to be. I'm preaching already. Are you ready? Have you had your caffeine? Uh, it, it was never meant to be where a bunch of people show up and watch a few professional people do ministry and then go back and live their ordinary lives. No, it was meant to be where anybody that has the banner of Jesus over their lives receives the mantle that they are called and equipped to change the world. And so once a week, we gather, encourage each other, learn, and are equipped only so that through the week we can scatter into our workplaces and be salt and light in a lost and dying and hopeless world. That is the mantle of the church. Can I get a good churchy amen? This isn't a churchy church. In fact, if this is your first time at church, you've come to the first, you've come to the best place. Because this is the kind of place where even if you're still putting together your whole framework for the world and faith, this is the perfect place to, to be a part of something, whether you believe what we believe or not. But I believe today is going to be really, really special. Here's the thing, though. Have you ever read through the book of Acts or read through scripture and, and you hear something exciting like what I said, but then you, you read the miracles, you read the power in the book of Acts, and you've all, and you, have you ever had this thought, maybe you haven't been bold enough to verbalize it? There's a disconnect. No, no one, you guys are walking around, you're shadow healing people all week. Am I the only person that is like, I, I just, I'm sorry, you guys are just way farther along than I am, but I'll be honest, sometimes I read what's taking place in Scripture, I'm like, there's, there's got to be something missing. Not, not that everything from the book of Acts is normative for today, but, but that I, I believe we need power and we need to, to be a force just as much if not more today than they were 2,000 years ago. And so I, I want to step into that tension today of what is it that if we're honest may be missing, the missing ingredient in your life and my life and maybe the church that powered that early group of people to turn the world upside down. So I'm going to pray. And here's what I want to ask you to do. I want you to not just listen to me pray, but maybe just in your own way, 
Just open your heart and ask God to speak to you. So, Father, I just thank you for this moment that we get to share together. I thank you to God over these next uh, hour and a half. The Lord, you are going to speak everything you need to speak. And you are going to change us forever. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Anybody ever had um, bad luck with your car? Anybody? That got a resounding amen. Wow. Okay. I just need to say that. I need to say that in 10 minutes. Um, yeah, yours doesn't compare to mine. Can I just brag? Um, the, the, and I got I to gotta be, I gotta be honest. There's, you know, sometimes when bad things happen to me, I, I actually think to myself, I'm going to share this one day on Sundays because they just love humiliating Pastor Russ stories. A couple of these, I just, I'd actually told myself I would not share. So I don't know why I am sharing other than I just love Jesus that much. But um, uh, let's see, where do I start? Last year, so I go to the, I'm a chiropractor guy. I go to the chiropractor um, every Friday and and I turn and go a direction I don't usually go. And there's this place on, because um, I live off Gender Road, off Bryce Road, maybe some of you know what I'm talking about, where it turns from 50 miles an hour to 25 miles an hour, quick. Yeah, well, cops know that too. And I, um, yeah, I, l- listen, I, this, I'm not proud of this, I'm not bragging, but I was pulled over, and you may say, what does this have to do with bad luck? It's kind of like Michael Scott. I need to get rid of the curse that hit Meredith with my car. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about. But I was driving, and I got pulled over, and a, and, and a cop, and I, all honor for cops, he had an agenda that day. And I was the one he was going to make an example out of. He went through and told me every single stop sign that he had had placed along Bryce. He told me that people come in to admire it. I'm not kidding you. I mean, it was a 30-minute lecture, and I literally thought he's about to take me to jail. He is about to take me to jail. He said, so what do you need to learn to never do this again? I said, sir, the fear of God is in me. It will never happen again. <laughs> Six months later, <laughs> before God, I, dry, the fear not hit me enough. I'm driving down the same pathway, and in the exact same spot, I get pulled over, and I think, oh, no, don't let it be him. Dear God, if you've ever answered a prayer of mine, hell, I'll get Catholic. I mean, what, whatever, don't let... <laughs> Same man pops out, walks. I'm not lying. If I'm lying, I'm dying, Pastor. Um, and he said, "You can see the look in his eyes." He said, "Are you kidding me?" I said, "Sir, I listen. I I, I was I was following the GPS the best time you how." And he goes, "You're blaming it on the GPS." I said, "I am. I mean, the GPS didn't change in time." He goes, "Why are you looking at the GPS instead of my speed limit signs?" And I just I pleaded. I, I mean, if I all but got on my hands and knees, and and uh, it, it was a bad bad deal. So then. Um, I'm going to blame Pastor Tim for this next part because he encouraged me in the stimulus series in February to share, you know, the celebration that in, in March I was able to become debt-free. I paid off my car. I went through the whole Dave Ramsey Financial Peace University. It wasn't meant for that, but thank you. But I'm not superstitious, maybe a little stitious. I'm not superstitious. But if I was, I would tell you that my paid-off car became a curse. I'm not, I'm, I'm not lying I paid off my car in March three times since then, not once, not twice, but three times since then, my car has been hit while parked. I'm not lying. My friend Brian had come into town. This is April. We're in German Village, part along the side of the road. Somebody just hits my car as they're going by and keeps going. My fight or flight, I start following them. I won't tell you the rest, but, and then um, a couple months ago, I was at that Starbucks right over here, and I got a pour over. They told me to pull around while somebody else was parked right there, and a very impatient truck decided they were going to try to plow right through between us. Well, they plowed right into me, and I went flying. 
A month ago, at midnight, someone knocks on my apartment door and says, um, do you, some of you are like, I brought my friend, what does that have to do with Jesus? But somebody, they, and this was great, they said, look, I thought you lived here, I just, I'm sorry, I was rushing in, got home late from work, stressful day at work, and I hit your car. Which, you know, thank God for honest people, and he gave me his insurance three times, but that's not the worst. In January, this is the part that I swore I would not tell you, but I'm, yeah, I'm going there. This is before, uh, we, this was the night before we kicked off the move series and I preached. I had come here prepared, you know, and, and uh, I, I went to the gym, was about to drive home, and my car, you know, it's one of those keyless entries, the, the battery in the key had died and uh, locked myself out of the car. Yeah. You had no idea what I was going through that day, did you? I just powered through in the name of Jesus. And... I called uh, locksmith, they came, unlocked it, all that good stuff. And, um, and then I was just like, this, this stinks. I had to wait there an hour, hour and a half, pay like 150 bucks. So I'm like, okay, I gotta drive home, but I gotta stop by the grocery store and, and get something. And I don't know if you see where this is going. <laughs> For the second time in a row, in the same night, some of you think less of me, I don't, I don't care. I locked my keys in my car. <laughs> wanted to cry, wanted to cuss, may have. I don't. Um, I'm just kidding. Some of you are like, well, just holy Pharisees. But I, why am I telling you this? I don't know. But besides to tell you that it did not matter how expensive the engine was in that car. It did not matter the, the power steering ability. It did not matter how much was in that car if I was locked out of it. And, and I'll, I just gotta say this. There is explosive, divine, dynamite level power in the church and in your life and my life, but if we are locked out of it, if we don't ever find the key to what made the early church what it is, it does not matter how many messages we listen to, it does not matter how many podcasts we listen to, it does not matter how many books we read, we have got to figure out, is there a key that unlocks the power of God that powered that early church and their lives? And, and I really believe there is. And so we're going to get to the Bible, I promise. Acts chapter 12. If you have scripture, you can go there. If not, we'll have it on the screen. But Acts chapter 12, this is 14 years after the church is born. And persecution has, had gotten a whole lot worse, a whole lot worse. And so we're in Acts 12, starting in the very first verse. We're going to go ahead and read. It says this. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. And so I want you to picture, I mean, just let's think about this in real life. Like in, in modern day, this is some of our ministry team leaders. The government comes in and kills them. They, they take one of the, our production guys or girls and, and lock them in prison. This is, can you imagine? Like, can we try to put ourselves in their shoes? I know it's tough. So they, they start being persecuted. And it says this. It says, when he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. So in other words, he makes a political move. This king realizes, hey, when I started attacking and harassing these Jews, the people actually, I found favor with the people, so you know what I'm gonna do? I'm actually gonna get the ringleader, because remember, this is Peter. This is the guy that Jesus looked at and said, I'm gonna build my church and the gates of hell won't stop it. This is the guy that preached the first message on Pentecost Sunday. This is 
with all intents and purposes, besides maybe Paul, the leader of the early church, and he says, I'm going to have him tossed in prison. Can you imagine what this caused the early church? And it says, this happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was, okay, so here's what we're going to read together. If you've wondered, what is the key to the early church? What is the key that I'm missing in my life? What was the power? Because I'm just going to go ahead and get, like, spoil this story for you if you've not heard it before. Peter gets out. Like, Peter escapes. So I'm going to show you what happened for Peter to escape. In fact, I want us to read this together. It says this. So Peter was kept in prison. Let's read this part together. But the church was earnestly posting on Facebook about how the evil liberals are ruining our country. Y'all didn't catch the key? Well, let's try it again. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly tweeting about how the ignorant conservatives are ruining it all. So Peter was kept in prison, but everybody got together to talk about how this is a problem with the church leaders and they're not doing a good enough job. So Peter was kept in prison, but people started slandering all the people in office and talking about what needed to change for them to be able to thrive. We're going to learn from the early church today. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church, can we say it, was earnestly praying to God for him. I know this may not sound exciting to you, but I'm going to get excited. And if you get excited, you maybe you just watch me get excited, but I'm going to get excited. And this may go a while, and some of you aren't surprised, but it's going to be fine. You're going to be okay. You're going to eat eventually today anyways. But the early church was a people bathed, empowered, and saturated in a spirit of prayer which produced lives and communities of power. So here's the result of them earnestly praying to God for Peter to be released from prison. It says this. It says, The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Definition, no way out. Anybody feel like that today? Soldiers on both sides, someone guarding the door. Anybody feel like, man, I, I got opposition everywhere I look, and I see no way of escape. That was Peter in this moment. But let's look at the power of prayer. But it says this, it says, suddenly, everybody say suddenly. Follow Jesus long enough, you're going to get some suddenlies. They're praying. They're praying over there, and then he got a suddenly over here. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Some chains are going to fall off some of us today because the presence of God is in this room. <laughs> then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me. I, can I just point out something I find fascinating? When Peter was being led by the angel, 
he doubted it was happening. It wasn't until after the fact that he looked back and said, wow, God was actually doing something. Maybe this Israel. Have you ever been to that place where like you are so in the middle that you can't see the forest for the trees and the situation in your life? You can't see God working. But I just want to encourage somebody. I, I don't even know if I'm ever going to get to my notes. But I just want to encourage somebody that you're going to look back on this season that you can't see God moving now, but you're going to look back and say, man, God really was doing something. God really was speaking. God really was working in my life. Thank you. Thank you. I like you. I like you. And it says this, I know without a doubt the Lord has sent his angel to rescue me from Herod's clutches. When this had dawned on him, on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were posting, sorry, praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening. For some reason, I think this part's really funny. <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like Peter was like, WTH, what, what, are you, what are you doing? She was, Peter's out the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said it must be his angel. But, but Peter kept on knocking. I love this. He's like, are you serious right now? Like, I, they're, they're chasing me. Open the door. I'm glad you guys are praying, but open the freaking door, you know. But Peter kept on knocking. When they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. You, you ever prayed so long and so hard for something, and when God finally answers it, you're surprised? <laughs> and when they opened the door, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said, and then he left for another place. Now, there's so many places we could go with this story, and we could talk about, again, some of you are in a prison that you feel is impossible, and you need to know that impossible is where God starts. There is no prison, no matter what prison you find yourself in today. Maybe it's doubt. Maybe it's addiction. Maybe it's loss. Maybe it's family pain. I just want you to know God sees you in your prison. And God is able to do what only he can do. Uh, maybe we could talk about how this early church seemed to innately, inherently know who the real enemy was. Again, think about their, their first reaction was not political or social. Their first reaction was spiritual. It's almost like they knew intuitively what Paul would say eventually, that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities that, that are real fight. I heard one pastor say it this way, and I just want you to consider this. I know there's some people that are weird and hyper-spiritual, but just think about what you're going through right now and just think about the possibility. Could it be what you're facing is more spiritual than you know? And so this group of people, in fact, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't say this as a soundbite because it sounds like good preaching, but can, can I just say this? That early church had no political power, but it didn't matter because they did have Pentecostal power. That, that early church may not have had the ear of a governor, but they had the ear and the audience of Almighty God of the presence of someone who could do something about their situation. But the biggest thing I, I, that I want to extract today is simply this. That, that early group of people, they were, they were a people of prayer. They were a people of prayer. They were, I wrote down three things that they were. They were people of continuous prayer. We, we see them uh, and almost everything, in fact, I, I, I almost did this, but uh, I, well, it sounds lazy. It ran out of time, but I wanted to go back through and, and listen to every message of the series again and see if there's one message that doesn't begin with prayer. Uh, I'm a little bit of a revival nerd. I love studying past moves of God and supernatural ways that God moved. And, you know, I did a, a deep dive in my early 20s on this, and 
One historian, Edwin Orr, he said it this way. He said, history is silent about revivals that did not begin in prayer. In fact, if you think about the early church, how did the early church begin? In a prayer meeting. Ten days in an upper room, praying, seeking God, and God brought revival. Can I tell you, everything that you and I need in life and everything the church needs comes from the source of prayer. They were a church of continuous prayer. They were a church of earnest prayer. This wasn't just a group of people who said their blessings at meals and lay me down nursery rhymes at night. This was a group that cried out earnestly to God. They were earnestly praying for Can I just tell you, this, can, this challenged me. I won't speak for you, but I got some things in my life that I've prayed, but have I earnestly prayed? Like, I've, I've wished away prayers. Like, God, please, please help me with this. But have I earnestly sought the face of God with prayer? They, 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 they prayed earnestly. The third one is uh, they were their church of continuous prayer, earnest prayer, and responsive prayer. S- something that I, I felt like God kind of challenged me with is you can tell a lot about who you are by your first response. In their first response, one, one church has this kind of mantra I think is really cool. They say uh, prayer is our first response, not our last resort. Have you ever heard somebody say, or have you ever said, I know I've said this before, well, guess all we can do now is pray. You know? Anybody honest still in here? If I scared half of you? And, and I think sometimes I know what we mean by that because there are things that we need to do in the natural to be diligent and take care of things. But for me, I don't know if maybe that kind of shows the value and the power that I think is in Prayer. So here's what I want to do, because I know what some of you are thinking right now. This sounds all really awesome, but I am not good at prayer. Anybody else said that? Anybody ever said that? Anybody ever felt that? Like, I am not good at prayer. Well, I'm really good at prayer, so we're going to, I'm just I'm kidding. It's a joke. We're going we're gonna to attack that lie today. And we're going to let God hopefully bring some some fresh ways of looking at this thing called prayer. Four quick things uh, that prayer does that I just want to, if you're taking notes, I want to encourage you to write this down. They may sound super simple. Because here's the deal. You know, it's crazy too. When you think about the early church, Jesus, before the church was launched, you know Jesus said the main thing the church would be known for? Did you know this? And it may surprise you what he said. He didn't say that the church would primarily be known as a house of incredible preaching. Though thank God for awesome preaching. He didn't say that my house will primarily be known as a place of incredible worship songs, incredible worship sets. Though thank God for that. But Matthew 21, 13, here's what Jesus says. He says, my house will be called a house of prayer. He said the primary thing that will or at least should mark the church and bring power to it is this thing called prayer. Uh, there's a guy named Charles Spurgeon, probably if you've not been around, only if you've been around church for a while, you probably have heard of him, but he's a guy from about 150 years ago that um, a lot of pastors and theologians consider the greatest preacher since the Apostle Paul. He was called the Prince of Preachers. He was a guy that lived in London and uh, had, a, had an amazing church. He was very cerebral, uh, very, very intelligent, but just had a power to preach, a power to pray. He's one of the most incredible writers 
but people would travel from all over the world to go to his church. In fact, even though he was a very just mature, intelligent person, and he would never broadcast this, there was such a power and anointing on his life to pray that people would be healed, and miracles would happen all the time when he would pray for people. In fact, in one London newspaper, secular newspaper, uh, they published an article, again, secular newspaper published an article that said this, meet Charles Spurgeon, the man who has raised more sick people from their bed than any doctor in all of England. So people would travel from all over the world. They wanted to know the secret. Like what is the secret to the power of this guy's life, to the power of this church? And someone recorded in, in a biography about him that when they visited, they said, what's the secret? He said, let me show you. And he took them um, and led them to this place beneath the church. It was like a basement. And they probably think I'm about to be killed, but um, took them down there to this, what Charles Spurgeon called the engine room. And when they went down there, there were hundreds of people on their face crying out to God, praying, interceding. And Charles Spurgeon said, that's the engine of the church. You just get to experience the benefits of what happens up here. And I want to tell you that God always meant to, for prayer to be the, not just the engine of the church, but the engine of your life and my life. And could it be, I'll just speak for me, I, I've, I can tell the seasons that I have less spiritual power is when I have less prayer in my life. And the seasons when I have more power are the seasons when I have more prayer in my life. So four things that, that prayer does. Number one is this, prayer changes things in our world. It's a crazy mystery that, that God would be in control of the world and yet use your prayers and my prayers to accomplish his purpose. And here's the reason prayer is so powerful. I know this is gonna just blow your minds. You're gonna think this is so deep, this is so powerful. The reason that prayer is so powerful is because prayer is the primary way that we connect, talk with, and converse with God. It's not because it's just some nice spiritual like practice that Jesus just loves. No, the reason that prayer is more powerful than we know is because God is more powerful than we know. And, and I just wonder if sometimes we need to redefine prayer. And Because I, I, I can just tell the more, it's really fun to watch this, Pastor Jesse. The more I just dig into this topic of prayer, the more you are really quiet and you're probably thinking about Chick-fil-A or Popeyes. But I promise you this, if we ever redefine prayer in our minds, not as uh, prayers that we pray, but a presence that we enter, there will become an excitement in our minds. Prayer changes things in our world. Second thing, if you're taking notes, that it does. And by the way, I love this verse. James 5, 16 says this, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Second thing is this, prayer is the portal to God's presence. Leonard Ravenhill, this, this one of my heroes of the faith of prayer, he said, a, a man or woman studies books because their brain is hungry for knowledge, but a man or woman prays because their soul is hungry for God. And I want to tell you, this is where prayer becomes exciting. Have you ever, you remember the last time you were so excited to see somebody? Like maybe, maybe like hang out with a new friend, maybe reconnect with an old friend, maybe go on a date. Maybe, you know, you and your spouse had a big vacation plan. You remember the last time that you were just so excited to meet with someone, be in their presence, and be right along with them? Anybody? Hey, if you don't answer, you should come, I'm going to call you out to come on stage and tell the story about it. <laughs> Some of you are about to just run for the door. But can I tell you that 
Prayer becomes exciting. Thank God for the first point. Thank God that prayer changes things. But prayer becomes exciting when I look at prayer primarily not as what can be accomplished, but who I can experience. I know some of this is just so simple for some of you, but can I just tell you, in case no one's just ever said this simply, you and I were breathed into existence for life-giving friendship with God. And prayer is the primary way that we experience that. It is a portal to God's presence. Third is this, prayer produces power in our lives. Maybe you can write this down. Lives of prayer produce lives of power. I believe this is why Jesus was so powerful. Yes, he was the son of God, but scripture actually tells us that he laid down his divine rights and lived not just as fully God, but fully man. He didn't even begin his miracles until the age of 30 when the Holy Spirit anointed him for power. And if you read and study the, the, the life of Jesus, here's what you'll notice, that no matter what Jesus did, he had to always continually steal away to be recharged in the presence of his father. In fact, the more ministry he did, the, the crazier life got, the busier life got, the more Jesus stole away. Anybody here like the mountains? <laughs> All right, we're mountain people. We got four. But I don't know what your place is, but here's how Jesus recharged. If he had a full day of ministry, he would steal away for a full night in the presence of God to recharge because prayer was the thing that powered his life. In fact, if Jesus were here today, here's what I believe he would say. He would use this as your analogy. Okay, I'm going to put you on the spot. Any of you, do I have any people in here, and you know who you are? Your phone's always dying. Anybody? Somebody elbowing your spouse right now, always. It's like how many chargers does it take to actually just keep your phone charged? Any weird people in here not have a charger in your car? (laughs) my parents don't that's why I'm thinking about this because I you know I flew home to Greenville my parents don't have chargers in their car and so my my phone's always dying um here's the thing life has a way of draining the spiritual battery of your life doesn't it anybody anybody been through something this week that just chipped away at your strength chipped away at your joy, chipped away. Anybody, let's be honest, anybody been through this week and you didn't daily just have spiritual thoughts of my, my mind is on set on heavenly things, that I am not a citizen of earth, I am a citizen of heaven and I am seated in heavenly places with Christ right now and my mind is just dwelling and pondering on the glorious riches that are mine as the inheritance of the saints. That is what my mind is fixed and stayed upon as a saint of the most high living God. Has anybody not done that daily? See, if, if this were 2,000 years ago, it was, it was a culture full of farmers. It was an agricultural. So, so Jesus used a different analogy. He talked about abiding. He said, you need to abide in me. You need to dwell in me, not just visit me. He said, if you'll abide in me, you, you, you'll stay connected to the source and the nutrients and the sap will flow through your lives and good things will come out. But I, I just, any, anybody still a farmer? Okay, anybody have one of these? So I think here's what Jesus would say. You can't just connect to the source once on Sunday mornings or once over a meal. And here's where I think we need to redefine prayer. 
is that prayer is less about I'm going to say some really spiritual words on a Sunday morning or in the morning before I go somewhere. Prayer, living a life of prayers, I've got to find a way to keep connected to Jesus throughout the day. I've got to find a way to steal away with Jesus. I've got to find a way when I'm in the car to say, hey, here's the deal. I'm all for devotional times in the morning. If you don't have one, I cannot encourage you enough. Get with Jesus. I'm a big believer as a lot of the the. Leadership gurus say, win the morning, win the day. I'm a big believer. Give God the first fruits of your day. Before you meet with a human being, meet with God. I cannot encourage you enough to let God speak to you through his word and presence. But, but anybody like me, I'm just going to be honest. I won't put you on the spot. Anybody like me just had a really spiritual morning? I mean, God speaking to you, highlighters out. You got the coffee. You got the breakfast. Hill songs playing in the background. Ex-church worship is playing. And you just heard the voice of the angels singing over your life until 9.05 when you get on the road and somebody cuts you off and you say that word. Anybody like me have this issue? You can have the most, I mean, just journaling. You know, just beautiful thoughts and images. This is the vision that I felt like God gave me, and it's just, oh, so beautiful. And I just, you know, I I had Holy Ghost goosebumps, and it was amazing. And then it's like, what are you doing? Cutting me off right now. Are you, you're going to text me about work right now? Are you kidding me? You're taking another day? Are you kidding me? This happened in the government again, and then before you know it, all of your spiritual salvation is out the window. Which is why you and I have got to find a way to do what Thessalonians says, which is to pray without ceasing. You and I have got to find a way. You know, one big buzzword nowadays is triggered. Anybody heard that a lot recently? That triggers me. I'm triggered. I'm not making fun. I think it's important to know your triggers. Can I say this? I think it's even more important what you do when you're triggered. And can I tell you a trigger that really helps me? Pray is every time I'm tempted to worry. I love what it says in Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Can I tell you, I know this is so simple. God doesn't just say don't worry. He says what you can do instead of worry. What if, just try this for the next seven days, what if you let every time that you're worried or stressed, it trigger you, but you retrain your mind and your body to have a new response to that trigger? What if every time you're frustrated from now on, instead of immediately venting to your friend and slandering someone or gossiping about someone or just fretting or letting your mind go down a rumination track like Michael Scott where you derail and burn down the entire town, what if instead of that, you let that be a trigger God, okay, it's in the middle of the work day. I know, I know I don't have Hillsong playing in the morning, but God, let's, me and you, we gotta talk about it right now. Maybe, I, God, you know that I'm worried about this. So right now, by faith, I am doing what First Peter commanded me to do. I am casting all of my cares upon you. God, it's only been two minutes, and I am already worried again. So I am again gonna cast all of my cares upon you. God, it's been five minutes now, but I am coming back to this moment where I need to cast all of my cares upon you. And you know what? I'm so really frustrated with Paul from work. Paul has been stealing my bubble gum every single day. Who gets mad about stealing bubble gum? But God, so what I'm going to do is instead of cursing my enemies, I'm going to pray for my enemies. Lord, I pray that you would bless Paul. I know I'm really frustrated with him, but would you give him peace today? Would you give him courage today? Would you bless his life today? What if... We let our triggers begin to trigger us to live lives of prayer. Uh, for my, to, to supplement my devotional time, I've been reading the journal entries of a mystic from 1913, as one does. <laughs> but 
I've been so encouraged by what he's saying. Can, can I just read you one of these? Because it's, been, it's just gotten me excited about God again. It just really has. January 29, 1930. Here's what he said. He said, this sense of cooperation with God in little things is what so astonishes me, for I never have felt it this way before. I need something and turn around to find it working. And then he says this, my part is to live this hour in continuous inner conversation with God and in perfect responsiveness to his will to make this hour gloriously rich. This seems to be all I need to think about. Now, some of you are thinking, you're weird. <laughs> Why are you reading this stuff? But I want to live the kind of life where the eternal things become bigger and the friendship and intimacy with God becomes the most exciting, fulfilling, satisfying, empowering thing in my life. Is this helping anybody? Lives of prayer produce lives of power. Okay, really quickly. I got about 10, 15, 15 minutes to hit what I really want to hit. Here's what I really want to hit. Did I hit all four points? I don't know. If not, pray. God will give it to you. But Four lies that I think you and I believe that keeps us from a life of prayer. Can I give it to you? Pastor Jesse said yes. Can I give it to you? Lie number one, I'm not good at it. I want to say something that makes me feel a little bit awkward because it feels a little bit like self-patting on the back, and I, I hope that you understand when I'm done sharing this, why I'm sharing it. But I have a lot of people tell me I'm good at prayer. And here's the thing. I, I know, and this isn't to make anybody feel bad if you've ever said that, because I, I know it's an encouragement. And, and look, I, I know what it's like to, I mean, the, the disciples watched Jesus pray, and they didn't ask him to teach him how to, to do miracles. They said, teach us how to pray. There must have been something powerful and invigorating about the prayer life of Jesus. But, and so I know what it's like to hear people pray and there's an anointing on their prayer and you can tell that there's a rich intimacy with God and you can tell that, that things happen when they pray. So I, I get that. But can I tell you, it makes me feel a little bit nervous when people say that for a couple reasons. Number one, because at the heart of prayer is simply talking to God. It, it almost feels like, if I were to come up to you and watch you talking to your spouse, be like, bro, you are a great spouse talker. Like you just, man, the way you talk to your spouse is like, oh my gosh, like, oh, I want to record that and listen to that. Like, that is amazing. Bro, you are a great friend converser. I heard you talking to your friend, and man, I've never heard a friend talk to another friend that way. It is unbelievable. And again, I know what people mean, but here's, here's the more serious reason it makes me nervous, because... Um, you don't know my heart. I mean, hopefully you trust my heart or you get to know me and hopefully you trust leadership. But, um, you, you know, Jesus actually got on to a group of people called the Pharisees. And you know what he said about them? He said they love to pray these long, impressive, flowing prayers in public. And that's not what was wrong with them. He said, but their hearts are far from me. See, here, here's what I know. It's possible, I mean, I try not to do this, but it's possible there have been moments here on platform or in small groups or in meetings where I have prayed a prayer that was impressive to you but insulting to God. Because it's possible I've prayed a prayer before that was full of eloquence but drenched in hypocrisy or pride. But can I also tell you there have been prayers you will never see 
where I was so broken, all I needed to do was to weep and to groan and to say, God, if you don't show up, God, I need you. It's like when Hannah in the temple cried, and the Bible says her tears were a language to God. God literally heard her tears. Sometimes it's kind of like when Jesus said there's, there's the, the, the righteous person on the corner saying, I thank God that I'm not like that. But then there's the one person that beat their chest and say, oh, God, save me, a sinner. Sometimes you don't have eloquent words. Sometimes it's the cry of your heart that, God, I need you. God, forgive me. One more time would you cleanse me. One more time would you breathe on my life. And I can tell you, God's heard those prayers. So can we settle it once and for all? That prayers are not good or bad, meaningful or not meaningful, based on the eloquence of our words, but on the sincerity of our hearts. Some of you have never prayed a prayer before in your life, and today you just may say, God, I don't even know what to say, but I'm here, and it may mean more to the heart of God than someone who repeated a million repetitious prayers. Just start talking to God about anything. And I will tell you this, this is just a little practical tip. Prayer is like a muscle. Here's what I've learned. The more that I don't do it, the more I'm okay to not do it. But the more I do it, the more I want to do it. Can I just tell you, where, where, where do I start? Just start. God, the sky's blue. <laughs> God, I, um, I don't know. Um, I'm really frustrated right now. And I have a feeling that you're big enough for my honesty. God, I got these issues I need to work through. I, I will give you a little acronym for anybody that likes practical formulas. You can write this in your journal, ACTS, since we're in the book of Acts, A-C-T-S. If you ever don't know what to pray, just pray Acts, A-C-T-S. A stands for adoration. Jesus, the Bible says to enter his courts with praise and thanksgiving, to love him. Jesus said, start out your prayers, our Father who's in heaven. If you don't know where else to start, just start with how good God is. God, I don't really even know what to say about me, but I'm just thankful that you're holy and amazing and righteous. I'm so thankful that you are the Lord of lords. I'm so thankful that you're more glorious and more beautiful than I can ever imagine. Just start with adoration. The C is confession. Anybody like me have some things to confess? God, daily, search me and examine me. Know my heart. God, as, as, as I'm in your presence, I'm already reminded that I could have been a little bit uh, more tender with how I said this or how I did that or how I did this. T is for thanksgiving. So adoration is about worship, and that's about who God is. Thanksgiving is about what God's done. God, thank you that I have breath in my lungs. Thank you that you have probably answered more prayers than I ever remember. Thank you that I'm alive today. Thank you that today is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Thank you that I got two legs, two arms. Thank you that I got a head, I got eyes. Thank you, God, that I live in this. I mean, you just start thanking him. And that'll redirect your perspective anyways. And then S is supplication. It's a, simply a fancy word for tell God what you are wanting him to do. Supplication is, God, here's what I'm asking you to do for me, and here's what I'm asking you to do for others. If you're like me, I keep a prayer journal on my phone for me and for others. So every time somebody asks me to pray, I, I know me, I'll forget, so I just put it on my prayer list. And by the way, when God answers prayers, I put that under Thanksgiving because I need to be reminded not just what I need to pray for, but I need to be reminded that God answers prayer. And that builds my faith. Is this helping anyone? Okay. So I'm not good at it. Let's just erase that from our vocabulary. And can I just be aggressive about it? Never again say I'm not good at it. But just realize that if God designed you for intimacy with him, he's put everything in you that you need to have friendship with him. So it's not that you're not good at it. You just need to begin to step into it and have conversation with God. Number two is this. 
And if I'm honest, this is what hinders me the most. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. In one word, shame. And here's where I really felt like God wanted me to land. Is there some of us, there's some of you, you know the reason you haven't talked to God in a while? is because you're just convinced he's so mad at you and so disappointed. And so, I mean, how did the prayer life end in the garden? Adam and Eve sinned. When they were having communion with God, that's prayer. The moment they sinned and shame entered, they went and they hid in the trees away from them and the conversation stopped. Some of you, from the last moment you blew it, the conversation has stopped. And look, conviction's good. It's not good to have a seared conscience. I want to have a healthy level of guilt and conviction when I mess up, but conviction and guilt is about what I've done. Shame is about who I am. Conviction says, God, there's a better way I can live and you're gonna help me. Shame says, no, I am a mess up. There's no hope for me. I might as well hide from God and not talk to him because he's mad. We're talking about Peter, right? This is what happened to Peter. The same Peter that was the leader of the early church, the same Peter that preached the first message on the day of Pentecost is also the Peter that denied Jesus three times. The rooster crowed. You know, we always think of this as a, as a literal animal rooster. Um, but did you know a lot of theologians believe that's not what that was, a rooster crowed? But that in those times, there was, uh, when, when they would give a call to prayer, there would be somebody that would call, it would, it would be like a rooster, they'd call them the rooster, literally, and they would crow and call for a time of prayer. Could it be that right after Peter screwed up the most, he could not bear to be in church or to be around someone that called him to pray because all he could think about is what he just did. And then what happened? Peter went back to fishing because shame will not only drive you away from God, it'll pull you back into the very thing God brought you out of. Can you imagine the scene, Peter, on the boat? Jesus raised back to life, and he calls, Peter! Can you just imagine what was going through Peter's mind? Man, this first conversation with God is gonna be brutal. He's gonna wanna talk about, Peter, get over here. I can't believe you screwed up like that. I can't believe you denied me three times. Can you, I just picture, the Bible says that Jesus was literally building a fire and cooking breakfast on the beach. And the humorous side of me thinks that Jesus probably called out, Peter, I'm building a fire. And I just imagine Peter turning to John. John, he says he's gonna burn me in fire. And John's like, no, you idiot. He says he's building a fire. And the Bible says that when Peter realized it, with his clothes still on, he jumped in the water and ran and swam all the way to Jesus. And can you imagine the shock with Peter when he finally realized that Jesus was not interested in talking about his past, he was interested in talking about his future? That Jesus was not nearly as interested as what Peter had been as he was about what Peter was becoming. Peter's thinking, man, I'm about to get a whooping. I'm about to get a scolding. Jesus is gonna tell me how disappointed he is in me. And Jesus looks him in the eye and says, come on, Peter, let's eat breakfast. I've missed you. 
I've just made the best salted cod breakfast sandwich you've ever had in your life. I got pour over brewing and let's just talk. You think that caught me off guard what you did? I just want relationship with you. And I just think that if shame keeps us from God, then we need to destroy it today. Some of you need to hear this. Jesus is not waiting to whip you. He's already been whipped for you. He's on the beach saying, will you come have breakfast with me? I'm not good enough. No, but he is. He is. Third one, I'm going quickly, is we think God doesn't desire us. Even though he says, you're the apple of my eye. You ever been around somebody that you didn't like? Let's be honest. And then you finally realize, oh, the reason I don't like them is because I have a feeling that they don't really like me. Can I just tell you to your eyes, that I can, I can see your whole face now. God doesn't just love you. He likes you. He delights in you. I, I had a friend of mine, I shared this at a couple of the circles, that said his whole prayer life changed because one day he began his prayer with repentance. God, forgive me. I know I screwed up. I know I did this again. And God reminded him, said, hey, when I taught my disciples to pray, I didn't tell them to begin with repentance. I told them to begin with relationship. And he said God brought him back to where the, just the friends of Jesus said, hey, Lazarus is sick, the one you love. And he said he tried something. And I want to encourage you. I want to ask everybody in this room that knows Jesus to do this this week. And it's going to feel really awkward and maybe wrong the first few times you do it. And I think that says something about us. He said he began every prayer time that week with this line. God, it's me, the one you love. What if my lack of desire for God is because I really don't think he really desires me. But you know what it says in James? It says the spirit that he put in us yearns jealously for us. God yearns for your friendship today. And what if we began this week each day in prayer with God, it's me, the one you love. Not God, it's me, the screw up again. What would that do to us? And then finally, I'm closing. We kind of feel like it's not going to make a difference, do we? But can I just tell you something? You know, I, I, was, in, um, I was in Atlanta six years ago and going through just one of the toughest seasons of my life. And uh, I, had a, I had a specifically discouraging day one Saturday night, and I was supposed to preach the next day. I think. And, and I went from the city in Atlanta back to the church and I was kind of straightening chairs like I typically did. And, and I just, this sounds really weird to admit, but you ever just gotten so discouraged that you kind of like dazed out for a while? Y'all don't make me feel better. Okay. I mean, that didn't happen. Um, but no, I, I literally stood like this at the pulpit and stayed at the ground. And when I looked at my watch or phone again, it had been an hour. I was so, like, I felt paralyzed in discouragement. And uh, I lived at the house up on the hill. I walked back down to the house that I lived in and I was just kind of pacing the halls. I mean, I hadn't been that discouraged in years. I was just pacing the halls. And uh, right before midnight, a buddy of mine that I hadn't talked to in days, knew nothing. He lived in another state across the country. He called me and he said, is it okay if I 
talk to you for a minute? I could tell he was, he's not an emotional guy, he was emotional. And he said, I've been praying for you in the spirit all day long. And he goes, I'm not trying to be weird, but I feel like God told me there is a spirit of discouragement on you and I would like to pray and break it off. And I'm telling you, it may feel, sound weird. He began to pray and I mean pray. I fell on my knees. I began to weep. And I'm, I don't know how to explain it to you. It may sound super weird. All I know is the presence of God rushed into that room. The burden lifted. And I went to bed smiling. And the thought hit me. Number one, the power of prayer. But number two, I, the thought came to my mind and I journaled it that night. What if I built my life again as a home for the presence of God? Because I'm telling you, your prayers accomplish more than you know. And in his presence, everything can change. And prayer invites his presence. Why don't you stand to your feet right where you are? I want us to do something that may sound weird, and especially if you, uh, no pressure to take part of this if you don't know Jesus or if you're COVID freaked out or whatever. But I just thought, what a waste it'd be for me to talk about prayer and then us not practice it for a minute. So if you feel comfortable, would you just extend your hand to the shoulder beside you? Can we do that? And here's what we're gonna do for just a moment. I don't care if this may get awkward, I don't care. We're gonna pray. And can I challenge some of you? Some of you are gonna hate me for this. Some of you that never pray out loud, I'm gonna ask you to pray out loud. Because see, here's the thing. The enemy can't read your thoughts. And there's a time for praying, and then there's a time for earnest prayers. You know what James says? He says the fervent prayer of a righteous person accomplishes much. They were earnestly praying for Peter. It wasn't, dear God, I hope. I'm not saying there's not a time for that, but here's what I want you to do. There's something really meaningful about hearing someone call out your name in prayer. Maybe I just want to ask the person beside you if you don't know. Say, what's your name? I don't, I don't even know you. I know this is awkward. I don't care. And here's what we're going to do. I'm going to begin praying, but I want to encourage you, please, if you feel comfortable, don't listen to me pray. You pray. Can we do that? Can we do that, church? Let's start with the person on our left. God, we pray for the person on our left. And God, we pray right now that whatever they're going through, God, you would touch them, you would strengthen them. God, if they are going through the time of their life, would you remind them that you are with them, God, that you are for them, that God, nothing that they are facing right now are they facing alone. I pray that you would touch them right now. I pray that you would strengthen them. I pray that you would heal them. I pray that you would deliver them. God, we pray for the person on our right, and I pray that, God, whatever they are going through, that you would fill them with strength from heaven heaven. Would you, God, in this next season, direct their steps? Would you give them peace about what they're confused about? Would you give them a calm in their life? And in this next season, would you reveal yourself to them in a brand new way? And God, I thank you today that, Lord, you are breathing a spirit of prayer on all of us. And so, God, over the next few days and weeks, would you just call us up into a brand new level of friendship with you. In Jesus' name, and amen, and amen. Can we celebrate his presence today? Thanks so much for tuning in to this message. I hope that it encouraged you and inspired your faith. If God is doing something in your life, 
would you take a moment and let us know? We wanna connect with you and we wanna be able to pray for you. All you have to do is shoot us an email to hello at the x.church or you can always send us a DM on one of our social media platforms. And if you know somebody that would also be encouraged by this very message, why not take a moment and just share it with them right now? And as always, I want to say thank you to every single person who so generously financially supports this ministry so we can continue to get messages like these out to people all over the world. We believe God is building something special and you're a significant part of it. Until next time, have a great day.